0: Our culture loves to use word pictures to communicate something. For example, as we talk about a looming economic crisis, the term that's being used a lot these days is a fiscal cliff. You heard people talk about the fiscal cliff. We're in danger of plunging over. The day after Thanksgiving, which is shopping mayhem, is called what? Black Friday, it's, 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 a, it's a tough day. It's not a fun day, it's a tough day. And, and our, our culture uses these, these word pictures to, to get points across. What I want to do this morning is I want to use some word pictures from the Bible about the kingdom of God. And these word pictures help us to understand the nature of the kingdom and help us to understand our role in kingdom Advancement. So, if you have your Bibles, open with me to Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel chapter 47. We're taking a break from 1 Samuel, because I've got some things I want to share with you that are pressing this morning. We'll be in Ezekiel chapter 47. We'll begin reading in verse 1. I want to ask you, this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God. It's good to be back. I trust everyone had a good Thanksgiving, good time with your family. I had a gentleman walk up to me this morning before the 8 o'clock service and say, I hope you had a good time with your family. I wish it was under different circumstances. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I've been praying for you. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, Claire lost her brother. And I said, well, no, he, he got married last Saturday, but he did, he didn't die. And uh, he said, oh, okay, well, he said I, you got some extra prayers last week, so anyway, so uh, everyone's alive and well, Claire's brother got married, and we uh, had Thanksgiving, and God is good. All right, Ezekiel chapter 4, that's how rumors get started, amen? All right, Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1, it says, then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east, for the house faced east, and the water... "...was flowing down from under from the right side of the house from south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate by way of the gate that faces east. And behold, water was, watch this, trickling from the south side. When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits and he led me through the water, water reaching the ankles. Again he measured a thousand and led me through water, water reaching the knees." Again he measured a thousand, led me through the water, water reaching the loins. And again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not ford, for the water had risen, enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, on the bank of the river there were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then he said to me, These waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into the Arabah, which was a a desolate region. Then they go toward the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh. It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will what? Will live. And there will be very many fish, for these waters go there and others become fresh, so that everything will live where the river goes. Again, everything will live... Where the river goes. Let's pray together. Father, we pause to give you glory. And we pause to ask you to move in our midst. Holy Spirit of God, would you fall on us? Would you take the word of God and, and just grip our hearts with it? Would you transform us? Would you change us? Would you mold us and make us further into the image of Christ? Just have your way in our midst. May we leave this place today saying hallelujah, what a Savior. May we leave this place today saying what a mighty God we serve. May we leave this place today with our affections for Christ stirred up anew and afresh. And we'll thank you, Lord, for that grace. Establish my steps in your word and we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our our mission statement, our vision statement is that Longview Point wants to be a church that expands his kingdom, God's kingdom across the street and around the world. As we preach the gospel, people get saved and Christ begins to rule and reign in their hearts. They become a part of the kingdom. And everyone that gets saved uh, becomes a part of the, the kingdom expanding, the kingdom growing. So we want to be about that kingdom expansion. And there are, three word pictures from the Bible about the kingdom that I want to share that are compelling and are life-changing if we will understand what these these word pictures convey. The first is that of a mighty river. And I, I know you don't have notes this morning, so just kind of follow along with me. I'm going to go quickly because i got a lot I want to share with you today about the future. But, but a mighty river is the first picture I want you to see. Uh, the end of the book of Ezekiel is... Uh, or centers around Ezekiel being given a vision of a temple. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet during uh, the first part of the Babylonian exile. The Babylonians came and conquered the Jews and took them back in three different waves to Babylon as, as their captives, as their servants. And Ezekiel was one of these uh, Jews that was living in exile, and he was preaching to the Jews on behalf of God, and, and much of the book of Ezekiel speaks of God's judgment, but there are some bright spots where where Ezekiel speaks of a new covenant and God doing a new thing and, 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 and doing mighty works among his people. And the end of the book deals with this vision of a temple, and there are different interpretations concerning what this temple pictures. Uh, some believe it speaks of a literal temple that will be built ...for the 1,000-year reign of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ. So they think this is a vision that Ezekiel's given of a future, real, literal temple that will be built. Others think this temple is a metaphor for God's presence among his people in the New Covenant age... ...or the age of the church, the age we're living in right now. That even as we are serving and and, and proclaiming the gospel, God is in the midst of his church, the midst of his people. Still others think this speaks of God's presence among his people in the new heavens and the new earth. And there are different interpretations there. There's a lot we could say. These are very difficult chapters of the Bible, trying to understand what this, this temple, this vision of the temple is all about. But I believe the the major overall purpose, whatever perspective you take, is to show us that God's presence uh, will be among his people as he does something dramatic. And this river that starts as a trickle coming from the temple, and and grows into a mighty rushing river, pictures God's work going forth from Jerusalem. It pictures what God is going to do. Because you notice that as this river goes forth, it gets deeper and deeper, can't even swim across it, and then everywhere it goes, it gives life. Notice that last verse uh, that we read in verse 9. It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live Uh, and so it speaks here of of god's work among a desolate world that as god's message goes forward as his as his spirit goes forth as good news goes forth there will be life that comes and so it's interesting to note that the river starts as a trickle in the first century a.d uh, the movement that we call christianity started very very small just a small group of men right but that trickle grew into a current, and that current grew into a stream, and that stream grew into a brook, and that brook grew into a river, and that river that brings life has flown into your life and to my life. The idea of a river giving life is found throughout the Bible. A matter of fact, when Jesus explains in John 7 what it means to be saved, he says, From your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. In other words, when you meet Jesus, you will be given life, life abundant, life eternal. Over in the book of Revelation, it speaks of a river of life that flows from the throne of God. When we get to the new heavens and the new earth. This picture is the work of God in salvation. The work of God in giving life to his people through his son, Jesus Christ. This metaphor speaks of the life-giving nature of the kingdom. Everywhere the kingdom flows, it gives life. And here's what that means for us. As we share Jesus, as we proclaim the gospel, we can be instruments in God's hands to give this life to others. We have the opportunity to offer the eternal and abundant life that only comes from King Jesus. So when we talk about expanding his kingdom, what we're saying is we are instruments of life. We are sharing with people how they can have life that goes on forever in eternity in heaven and how they can have abundant life in the here and now. We are part, as a church, of that mighty, rushing river of God. Amen? That's that's good stuff. So as we expand his kingdom, we are in the life-giving business, just like this river pictures. There's a second metaphor I want you to see over in Daniel chapter 2, and that's the metaphor of a great mountain. A great mountain. We've seen a mighty river, and I want to show you a great mountain. Daniel 2, verse 31. Let me give you just a little bit of background. This is during the Babylonian exile, where the Jews were captive in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He is troubled by this dream, so he wants to know what this dream means. He wants someone to interpret for him, and so it says in verse 2 of chapter 2 that he called all of his magicians and conjurers and sorcerers and wise men together. He says, listen, I want you to interpret my dream. They say, okay, we'll interpret for you, king. Just tell us what the dream was. And then he says, no, 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 no. He says, if you're really magicians, if you're really that wise, then you tell me what my dream was. And they say, well... We can't do that. And he said, well, i tell you what. If you can't do that, I'll tear you all limb from limb. (laughs) Looking bad for the magicians, right? And so a decree goes out through the land. Nebuchadnezzar is going to have all the magicians, all the wise men, all the conjurers killed because they can't tell him his dream. And so word gets to Daniel, who was one of the wise men. God had given him wisdom to to lead among the people of Babylon. And and, and he probably was included in in this decree of death. And so Daniel says, wait, hold on a second. What's the problem? Why does Nebuchadnezzar want to kill everybody? And he's relayed this story. And so here's what Daniel does. He gets his friends together, three Hebrew boys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their Babylonian names. But anyway, he got them all together, and they, they pray. And they say, God, would you show Daniel what this dream of the king was? And God does. So Daniel comes to King Nebuchadnezzar and says, listen, I can tell you what your dream is. He says, but it's not me. It's the God of heaven telling me what your dream is. And look what it says in verse 31 is Daniel relays this dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you king were looking and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold. It's Breasts and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until the stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became, watch this, a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, what is this mountain picture? What is this a a picture of? Well, look how Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar in verse 36. This was the dream, now we will tell it's interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory Wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand, has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. So he says, hey, remember the statue, King Nebuchadnezzar? The head was made of gold. That represents you. God has given you a great kingdom. But look in verse 39. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. So he's saying, after you... You reign, there's going to be a new kingdom represented by the chest and arms of silver, the Persian Empire. And after the Persians, a new kingdom is going to take over represented by the middle and thighs of bronze, the Greek Empire. But then look what happens in verse 40. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron it will be a divided kingdom but it will have in it the toughness of iron inasmuch as much as you saw the iron mixed with common clay as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay they'll combine with one another in the seed of men they will not adhere to one another even as iron does not combine with pottery here's what he's saying hey from the babylonians the the the, the Persians will take over, and then the Greeks will conquer the Persians, and then this fourth kingdom, represented by the, the feet of iron and clay, the Roman Empire will conquer the Greeks. And notice here that there's iron and clay, and so there's strength and there's weakness. In this verse, we see prophesied the rise and the fall of the Roman Empire. Because look what happens in the next verse, verse 44. In those days of those kings, the Roman kings, the Roman emperors, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. I like that, don't you? And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. He said, hey, remember that mountain in your vision or that mountain in your dream? That's the the kingdom God's going to set up starting in the days of the Roman Empire, starting with the cross when Jesus died to usher in victory. It's going to start in those days and it will become a great mountain that will crush all other mountains, that will crush the statue, that will crush all other empires. This metaphor of a great mountain speaks of God's sovereignty over all other nations and the ultimate victory of his kingdom. In other words, his kingdom will be the last one standing. And here's what that means for you and for me. When we expand God's kingdom, when we preach the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we are preaching and working for something that is permanent, something that will last forever and ever. And ever. all this other stuff, all the other trappings of life, will one day just fade away, right? The, the Babylonians thought they would be the, the, the king of the hill forever, but they, they were crushed by the Persians. The Persians were defeated by the Greeks. The Greeks by the Romans. The Roman Empire fell. Listen, all the earthly kingdoms will one day pass away, and when the dust settles, there will be a great mountain, the kingdom of God, that is victorious. That's what's pictured here. We're working for a permanent victorious kingdom. By the way, it's good to be on the winning team, amen? Last night I was cheering for a losing team. It was not much fun. It's good, but we're not talking about football anymore for the rest of the year. It's good to be on a winning team. And as we preach and expand the kingdom of God, we are part of a permanent, lasting, eternal reality. And that's pretty incredible. There's a third metaphor I want you to see very quickly from Mark chapter 4. Until I didn't preach last week. I'm Three different passages of the Bible. Mark chapter 4. Turn to Mark 4 with me. Verse 30. You see a parable that Jesus shares about the kingdom. Mark 4 verse 30. It says, And he, Jesus, said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed which... When sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Jesus here is 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 giving us a metaphor to help us understand what the kingdom of God is like. Now we learn at least three things. First of all, we learn that the kingdom started small and seemingly insignificant. Think about it. Jesus was publicly ministering for about three years he died on the cross he rose from the dead and and what kind of earthly results did he have to show for that when he ascended to the father small band of disciples about 120 others meeting together praying in an upper room a very small group of of christians and yet because of their obedience because of god's grace and god's power From that very small beginning, the kingdom has grown, hasn't it? It's grown to the point where you heard the gospel and you embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So the kingdom started small and insignificant, but by God's grace and power, it has grown and is still growing. All over the world, the kingdom is expanding in in monumental, magnificent, glorious ways. God's fame is going forth. That's what this picture is. It starts like a mustard seed, but it grows. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And Then notice what happens. It gets so large and the branches is so large that the birds of the air come and take nests under its shade. This picture is that the kingdom will be a refuge for many, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. This metaphor emphasizes that many will take shelter in the kingdom of God. Here's what that means for us as we preach the kingdom, as we preach the gospel. We are offering people... The opportunity to take refuge under the shadow, under the shade, under the salvation of the cross. They can come and be a part of this kingdom and find rest and peace and hope and life and fulfillment, right? And we get to be a part of that. We get to say, hey, the kingdom started small. It has grown and is still growing and you can be a part of that kingdom. You can believe in Christ and take take refuge under the cross. As I was studying this passage, I I kept thinking of that old hymn that says, There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. And we get the amazing privilege of going into our community, going into our world, and saying there's room at the cross for you, right? So these, these kingdom metaphors are compelling. That's what we're a part of. A, a mighty rushing river that brings life. A strong mountain that is that will ultimately be victorious and is permanent. And a, a large tree that offers shelter to anyone that will come to Christ. That's what we mean we say we are expanding His kingdom across the street and around the world. So kingdom expansion, our vision statement, it's a big deal. These are huge biblical themes we're dealing with and our church gets to be a part of this, right? Thrilling. So what I want to do is I just want to give you 3 ways that we will expand his kingdom across the street and around the world in 2013. Now usually I I preach sermons like this at the beginning of the year, January, but because some pressing matters, which I'll share with you in a moment, because this ties into our budget to a, uh, to a degree. We want to share it with you today, all right? So three ways our church will be involved in kingdom expansion, part of the river, part of the mountain, part of the tree, in 2013. Number one is continued global focus. We are not going to back down one iota from aggressively going after the nation's. Can I, can I just remind you that there are over 5 billion people that are lost and headed for hell in our world? Over 2 billion of those have never even heard the name of Jesus. And if, that, if you don't feel the weight of that, something's wrong. If that doesn't weigh on your heart and your mind. If that doesn't, that doesn't compel you to action, something's wrong in your walk with God. We can never be satisfied to rest on our laurels when there are so many people headed for hell, right? So we're going to continue our global focus and go after the nations. I love this time of year because we're thinking about the nations so much. We, I, I wrote down some initials, OCC, GIC, LMCO, OCC's Operation Christmas Child, we just sent off boxes last week, a a a, a chance for us to be a part of getting the gospel out to to children all over the world. Wonderful ministry through Samaritan's Purse. This Wednesday night, our GIC, our Global Impact Conference starts. We will have missionary families here in our facility from all over the world incredible opportunity i mean it's, it's like a revival to hear what god is doing and to be challenged to be a part of what god is doing you will not want to miss our global impact conference starting this wednesday night 6 30 6 o'clock you can come and meet with the missionary families look at their displays but you don't want to miss our global impact conference it is a a a mile post moment in the life of our church lmco stands for lottie moon christmas offering our goal is a god-sized goal dollars. Big goal, and and by God's grace, we're going to get there and and reach that goal so we can put missionaries on the front lines to proclaim the gospel and start churches and to to push back the darkness to impact lostness. We're going to keep giving. We're going to keep being a part of all those things, and we're going to go as well. I did just a quick little count. In 2013, we will have six mission trips in North America. Six. I've heard people say, "Well, we go all over the world. Well, America needs Jesus too." Well, Amen. It sure does. You got six opportunities to go. Amen. Six opportunities. North America, and we got others going other places in North America as well in 2013. So, we, so we're 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 looking to reach North America with the gospel. Also, we'll have seven, maybe as many as ten global mission trips, different places in the world, different continents. I mean, all over the world that you have opportunities to go on. So you your giving supports that, and your going is important to be the, 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 the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus all around this world. We're going we're gonna to go aggressively on short-term missions. We're going to pray for our missionary partnerships. We're going to pray for unreached people groups. We're going, to, we're going to prioritize global missions in even a greater way in 2013. I Listen. I'm not content with being a missions-minded church. I've heard people say, "Wait, you're a missions-minded church. Now, I understand what they're saying by that, but I'm not content with that. I want missions to drive everything that we do. Amen? That's what it's all about. Listen, that's why we're still here. I mean, we're here to be on mission with God. I mean, he could have saved us and taken us directly to heaven, Right? But he left us here for a reason so that we could proclaim the gospel. So we're going to, to prioritize global missions in even a greater way in 2013. Secondly, we're going to expand his kingdom through aggressive church planting. Aggressive church planting. Financially, we will support East Point Church, the church we started this year. Over in Lewisburg, we'll support Gregory Williams and his wife Sharina. They, Gregory's going through our intern program and and working on uh, planning a church in 2013. We'll support them and 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 not only financially but but send teams to help them as they begin that work of starting a brand new church. We'll look to bring on another intern in 2013 to start the process again to plan another church. Hopefully, Lord willing, in 2014. 14. I mean, we're going to aggressively give and participate in church planting, giving our resources away, giving our people away, giving our time away to start new churches that will start new churches that will start new churches that will start new churches. Start new churches. We are going to aggressively plant churches in 2013. But then third, we're going to expand this kingdom through a commitment to reaching our city. As we go on mission trips, as we pray for the nations, as we plant churches in other areas, we realize that we are surrounded right here by lost people. Thousands of lost people. Thousands of lost people. And we want to reach our city. We're going to do that, first of all, through Connect Groups. Through Connect Groups, that's our small group ministry where we get together in small groups and study God's word together and then go on mission with one another together. Say so wait, why would we want to use connect groups to reach Hernando? Well, why would, why would you want to do that? Everybody look at me for a moment. Because that's what Jesus did. And because of his small group methodology, taking a small group of men and training them and preparing them, you're here today. Amen? As they learned to be a disciple of Christ, and then they made disciples of Christ, and those disciples made disciples that made disciples that made disciples leading to you and to me. If you want to change the world, invest in a small group. And here's the genius of a small group. You get together and you learn God's Word together. That's Bible study. You have ministry going on as you meet each other's needs. You have evangelism going on as you reach out to people that that are not a part of our church yet, people that are lost. You you share the gospel. You invite them to church. You invite them to your connect group. You invite them to socials. You reach out. That's evangelism. Discipleship is people get together. They grow in their faith fellowship, you, you get close with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, all that happens in a small group. Isn't that genius? All that takes place in a small group if we do our small groups right. And so we're going to reach our community through a ongoing multiplying movement of connect groups. We have connect groups to meet on campus, connect groups to meet in homes. We have connect groups all over the place, all through the week. We want to continue to prioritize investing in connect groups in 2013. But a second way we want to we want to move towards reaching our cities by providing more worship space. We think that we can provide more worship space that will that will streamline our schedule some, which will allow us to to get more people here to worship Jesus to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when you talk about providing more worship space, we have a we have a couple different options. All right, option number one is we uh, design a large sanctuary. We go through the the process of design, we, we, we bid it out and we build it, you know, 1,200, 1,500 seats, something like that, and uh, we're looking at, once you get the accompanying parking and lobby and restrooms and hallways, and then once you get all of that, you're looking at $3 million, conservative estimate. So we could just say, let's borrow $3 million and let's get the building, right? Uh, that's not an option. The reason that's not an option is because we're already 1. Point, we have 1.8 million dollars of debt, and we're not going to add to that another three million dollars because we would become a slave to that debt. And the biblical principle is you don't become a slave to debt. All right. So we, that's just not an option. It, it, we're looking at years down the road to be able to pay off existing debt and to be able to 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 build a building like that. All right. So so in terms of immediate option, that, that's not an immediate option. That's not going to happen in, in 2013. So how can we provide more space without building a big worship center and, and being just uh, driven by a, a, a mountain of debt and having to cut missions and cut ministry to, to, to uh, service that debt? Well, what we're proposing to you as leadership is we're proposing that we add to this room, the room we're in now, to be able to add more seats and provide a, a better worship environment. What we're talking about doing, just, I'll show you some pictures in a moment. But we're talking about this is going to be, be kind of crazy. You ready? We're talking about breaking out that back wall and moving our worship stage platform, everything, building a new stage, moving all our music ministry pulpit, everything up on that stage uh, on the back side of our building. That means we would u- be able to use the entire floor for seating, and we'd be able to configure our seats and uh, and add a lot more seats in here. You say, wait, how many seats? Well. Right now, we have about 450 chairs in this room. With this new scenario, we'd be able to get, including choir chairs, musician chairs, everything, we'd be able to get about 798 seats. So that's that's almost double. I mean, it's 100 away from being double our current worship capacity. And they say, wait, what in the world would this look like? Well, let me show you some schematics there on the the screen. Just look at those very quickly. By the way, you have time to ask questions about this the next couple of weeks, but I'm, I'm just going to show you this very quickly. Notice, that's our building. If you notice on the back side of the building, which would be right on the other side of this wall, there's a, a stage area uh, built in where our choir would be, our musicians would be, pulpit would be, and the entire shaded-in area would be room for chairs. All right, let's go to the next schematic. That's kind of what it would look like if you're sitting right there in the middle. If you're looking at this new stage platform area, it's just an offset stage. You see the the video screens. Uh, You see piano drums up there, and there'll be other instruments up there as well. But that's kind of what it would look like. It would just be an offset stage from this room. I think there's one more. Let's look at one more schematic. It shows you kind of an angled view at at what it would look like, uh, what this new area would look like. It just gives us room to do all the things we do in this area right now and makes room for chairs on the floor. Now, there are some benefits. You can leave that up for a moment. But there are some benefits um, to this expansion. Let me just kind of walk these benefits with you very quickly. Number one is less cost, uh, we believe, based upon some, some expert projections, that we can uh, build this stage, add on to our current room, um, pay for new lighting, Sound, video, those kind of things that are going to be important to providing that worship environment. Uh, buy some new chairs. We can do all that for under five hundred thousand dollars. We can do it for under half a million dollars and get uh, get ready uh, get in that that expansion so less cost five hundred thousand versus three million is not even a comparison it's just it 's just not even it 's not even close so it 's less cost. Number two immediate start for looking at building a big worship center we 're years away with this scenario. We would be able to start immediately. Once the church votes on December 9th to to, to move forward in this scenario, we would start immediately to to, to begin to build this and get in it hopefully by the middle part of 2013 and provide that extra seating, which leads to the third benefit, more seats. We go from 450 to 798. That's significant. Uh, A lot more seats in this room, which leads to the next benefit, which is less services. We would be able to go, we think, from four services to two services and get everybody back together. I've heard from our church family say, wait, I don't, see, I don't see certain people anymore and I miss seeing so and so and I feel like we're all going different directions and feel kind of fragmented. Well, this scenario will get us all back together in two services, uh, uh, worshiping together, robust, exciting times we get together to worship King Jesus. So less services. You say, wait, that's not a big deal. Well, you try preaching four times. Every Sunday, he didn't tell me it's not a big deal. Amen. I'm just kidding. I love to do it, but 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 less services. Next, there's more space for for, for uh, ministry, music ministry, and and uh, you know productions, those sorts of things. Uh, it will be a, a better space for that. Uh, it'll be a better worship environment. What we would have to do is we'd have to we'd have to cut out this walking track. And a part of this wall, so we'd lose the two basketball goals on this side, and so when you're worshipping you won't be looking at basketball goals in your periphery all right you you're looking at a, a a stage a platform screens lights it'll it'll just look more like a worship center we've talked about other things we can do we can we can get some carpet rollers, roll carpet down the aisles, and it'll just feel more like a worship center, which is not a not a game breaker it's not a huge deal but it it's a good thing that it'll feel more like a Worship Center a better worship environment we will be able to do some things with lighting. We've not been able to do before and things with video We've not been able to do before and it will be a a great environment for worship next is usable future space If we ever build a big worship center down the line then uh, this becomes a stage for dinner theaters Youth worship whatever whatever we need. It's not like it's gonna be wasted space. It will be used much in the future Uh, Here's another one. It'll be easier for us to break down the entire gym floor now for us to break down the entire gym floor to use it for fall festival or open gym week or whatever, we have to break down all the chairs. That's not a big deal if you have enough help. But we have to break down all this stuff up here. We have to fold up pieces of this stage and move the, the wooden risers and move the piano and the drum set. and It's, it's a big deal. That's why we hardly ever do it. <laughs> Just be honest with you, we hardly ever break down the entire gym. Okay, With this scenario, all you have on the gym floor is chairs. So if you have enough help, you just break down the chairs and you have the floor ready to use as a gym uh, or whatever you need it for. One one thing that's important, I want you to hear my heart on this, is we wanted to maintain the functionality of this room. This is a family life center. We didn't want to lose the gym. As a matter of fact, one of the scenarios we looked at at the beginning was maybe doing some things on that back uh, part of the, the, um, the walking track and maybe bringing it out some and put like a balcony type area, but we felt like we would would possibly lose the functionality of the gym. We did not want to do that. All right, so it, st- it will still be a gym. These two goals will be gone. These two over here, the main ones will be up. The two on the back wall will still be up. It will still have that functionality. It will be easier to break down the entire gym floor. Here's another advantage, and this comes from a woman's perspective. I was sharing this with our staff and uh, Patty, our preschool director, she said, You know what? It'll be better space for weddings. That never even crossed my mind. But she's right. For some reason, many folks don't like basketball goals in their pictures, all right? And I understand that, all right? This will be a better setting. If you want to take wedding pictures, it'll be a you know a, a, a better-looking worship background, that kind of thing. And so uh, if you've got wedding plans in the future, then, you know, this would work out good for you. Just throwing that in there just for the ladies, all right? Again, never would have thought of that if it wasn't for Patty. But anyway, uh, th- so there are many benefits of this expansion. Now, here are the disadvantages. We lose two basketball goals, but we don't ever use them anyway, honestly. We, just ne- we never use them. Secondly, oh, we lose the walking track on this side. We'd have to cap it off and cut out the walking track against this wall. So we lose the, the full circuit of a walking track. But here's what we've discovered. We've discovered for people that actually come and walk up here that they're walking on the floor anyway. They say this gym floor is a better surface than walking up on the track. And so with this new scenario, everything's cleared off, it'll be a better uh, place to walk around. So if people really want to come walk up here, they can walk around the gym floor and have a clear space for walking. So we're not really losing much there. So uh, just sharing with you what some possible disadvantages might be. Now let me give you kind of the game plan here. I'm going to close down. I'm going quick, I know. Let me kind of give you a game of how this is all going to play out, and then we'll close down. First of all, I know that I've given you more questions than answers today. You probably have some questions about all this. There will be a Q&A session today at 4 o'clock and on December 2nd. So you have two weeks to come and ask questions about this and about the budget in general, and we would love for you to come and ask those questions. And... Uh, we can discuss this in greater detail. There's a lot more I could say, but I don't have time to say it this morning. But but you have uh, opportunity to come and ask questions. We will vote on the budget and the expansion on December 9th. Okay, that's Sunday, December 9th. So that's when we'll vote. Next, we will begin ASAP. We'll secure the money for the for the project. Once the church votes, we'll get the money together uh, uh, aggressively. Go after the best interest rate and all of that uh, added into our current indebtedness. Uh, We're about 1.85. Uh, We'll be right at 1.8 by the end of of next year. And so when you add that $500,000, that gets us over $2 million. And so uh, we'll we'll add that into one big bundle, if you will, and we will begin to make payments on that once this expansion is complete. So we'll secure the money so we can start immediately, and then we will begin ASAP as soon as possible. Now here's the next part of our game plan. We're going to meet our Lottie Moon goal of $130,000. Amen. everybody look at me for a moment. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. This is very, very important. If I had to choose between us expanding this room and and adding a stage, some lights, sound, that kind of stuff, if I had to choose that or meeting our Lottie Moon goal, I would choose meet our Lottie Moon goal. Our number one priority this month is to meet our Lottie Moon goal, to pray that God would let us get to $130,000 so we can be a part of getting the gospel out. So, just want to make you aware of that. That's part of our game plan. We're not not factoring that out as we move forward. But here's the the last piece of this puzzle. In January, we will begin an aggressive debt retirement campaign. I do not like debt. All right? We want to control our debt. We want to pay off our debt. And in January, we will begin an aggressive debt retirement campaign while we build. So concurrent with us getting the building ready. um, And we think we'll be able to start pretty quickly. Uh, They can do most of it. On the other side of the wall, kind of the last step will be breaking the wall out. Maybe that Sunday, you know, we'll give Joey a sledgehammer or something and let him let him break through. But but, but we can do most of it outside, and then last, last stage will be break out the wall and, and tie everything together. But while we're building, while we're getting that in place, hopefully by the end of the summer 2013, we will be aggressively attacking our debt. We'll roll that out for you in January and challenge you in some different ways. We're going to challenge you to give regularly, consistently, over and above your normal giving to the church towards... Debt retirement. So, so, I want you to be aware of that. Now, here's here's my goal. All right, my goal is this: my goal is to pay off this project during 2013. So, we'll we'll borrow the money so we can get started immediately, but we'll pay it off uh, during the calendar year so that we don't have to pay extra interest. That makes sense. All right, that that's my goal. It's a big goal: be five hundred thousand dollars, pay it off. But here here, if we pay five hundred thousand dollars against debt retirement, and maybe even a little bit more. Think about this possibility. Listen to me carefully. By the first quarter of 2014, we would have less debt and almost double the worship space. Now think about that. If we build this expansion and really get serious about debt retirement, everybody gets in it together, we all give together. By the first quarter of 2014, we could be in less debt than we are now And have double the worship space, which hopefully will help us to grow, which will snowball so we can pay off the the remaining debt that we have. Does that make sense? So we're trying to be very conscious about controlling our debt and being wise about that and being good stewards of what God has given us. And so that's kind of the game plan. That's what's going to happen. If you have any questions, we want you to be uh, here tonight, next week, to come and ask questions and share what's on your heart as we move forward with this scenario. Now, here's what I want to say is, as I close down this time. And I know it can be tedious talking about budgets and interest rates and you know, strategies and, and all that stuff. I, I know that can be tedious, but listen. Step back and think about the bigger picture. We're not just talking about budgets and and buildings and stages and video. We're not. that's No, it's bigger than that. Ultimately, what we want to be about is letting that river flow through our church and preaching a kingdom that is permanent and telling a lost and dying world there is room at the cross for you all of this is intended to help us to be more effective more intentional at expanding God's kingdom across the street and around the world that's what we are called to be about